You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Yardage Podcast right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. And as always, I'm joined by my good buddy Sean Martin. Sean, where can they find you on Twitter? Hey everybody, I'm at Sean Martin NFL. As always, you can find me there. Come on and join the conversation. Yeah, and you can find us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher, the Hidden Yardage podcast. So, Sean, uh, this week, uh, as the offseason, the the first wave of free agency has finally just lapped the shores, and now things are calm, it begs the question, is this the worst Cowboys offseason of the 2000s? It's admittedly a subject of discussion in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, um, and I saw it on my Facebook timeline, and I don't know. What do you think? Because I already got an answer. What do you think? So one of the fun things about doing this show is, you know, you kind of come up with the, the bones of our topics, and then I kind of do my research on it without letting you know what I'm looking up to back up my points and you kind of just give us a talking point and then I independently start looking up, looking up stuff that they might bring to the show and you react to it live and that's worked very well. So the kind of direction that I've kind of gone with this to really see if this was the worst offseason without having a ton of perspective on Cowboys history like some of our other fans do is to look at something that I really haven't ever taken the time to do my research into. I'm one of those fortunate fans, as everyone probably knows, that really started following this team when Tony Romo was already in place as your starting quarterback. And so I missed the infamous bridge from Aikman to Romo. So I started looking at you know some of these names that we all know. And here's the quarterbacks that Dallas has drafted since 2000. It's a short list, as we all know. Isaiah Stanback, Stephen McGee, Dak Prescott, your current starter, Mike White, and who can forget Ben DiNucci. So that leaves the question, you know, they've used the part of the offseason that we're all begging them to do more in, trades and free agency and all those other things that have gone by the wayside here to get those other starting quarterbacks, Randall Cunningham, Anthony Wright, Quincy Carter, Ryan Leaf, Vinny Testaverde, Drew Henson, and Drew Bledsoe all started games before you had Romo in place. So from my perspective, you know, I think it's hard to call this current offseason the worst just because I – sort of relate to what fans went through watching those quarterbacks. And when you're in when you're in need of, you know, the most important position in sports, arguably, when you're in need of a starting quarterback and you're trying to address it any way you can and not just the draft and you keep missing as many times as they did, you know, I think that set yourself up to really say you had a disappointing offseason because almost anything else you do at that point 
is going to look really bad. You know, this team wasn't drafting as well as they were now during those days. So that's why it got really bad sometimes. But even even if you were drafting well, of course, you need that quarterback in place. And they went through a lot of off seasons where you just didn't have that. Yeah, and I think that it's presumptuous to declare this the worst off season or you know just act like it approaches anywhere near the worst off season of the 2000s because first of all we we're in the middle of this off season i think if anybody were um touched in the head enough to say that this was the best offseason. Let's say you're Stephen Jones and you really like the way that the pie has been managed. I don't even think at this point you could say that it's the best offseason ever because we're still in the middle of it, for goodness sakes. Take, for example, the 2006 offseason when I I guess we'll just say it was, you know, a really good offseason in terms of free agent signings because you – signed Terrell Owens. The draft was horrendous that year. Bobby Carpenter, <laughs> Anthony Fasano, Skylar Green, Pat Watkins, Montavious Stanley, Pat McQuiston, and EJ Whitley. But see, that's why you got to wait for the draft to finalize. And really, I think you got to wait until off-season workouts at least complete and you find out who blows out their knee on the first day of OTAs, a la Sean Lee in 2014, to really get an idea of what kind of offseason it is. Now, if I had to pick what the worst offseason in Cowboys in the 2000s, what it was, I think 2001 was the worst offseason since 2000 because Troy Aikman your three-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, was cut as a salary cap casualty, by the way. Just so mm-hmm. you know who gets uh, you know, put up uh, on the gallows uh, for, the, for the salary cap guillotine in Dallas. Troy Aikman gets cut. Quincy Carter um, – no, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was 0-1. Quincy Carter gets drafted – um, you don't have a first-round pick that year because you gave it away to Seattle for Joey Galloway, and your draft doesn't really produce anybody, like I said, other than Quincy Carter. That was the worst offseason of the 2000s, and anyone who was driving on the Tom Landry freeway during that time. Anyone who rare, was stuck in traffic on 635 okay. during that time should know that the 01 offseason was the worst offseason in the 2000s. You know, I want to give the Cowboys fans that reached the conclusion that this might be the worst offseason credit, though, because I think the process of getting there was actually very smart. But, you know, the conclusion is might just be wrong based on you know what you said, if you can go back to some past history all the way back to 2001. But, you know, Cowboys fans are smart. And to their credit, you know, they're looking at the positions where you've lost some key players. And it's really the right way to build a team. You know, one of the team-building philosophy pieces that I buy into, and I've talked a lot about, you know, different things that I picked up here and there in terms of how you learn how to build a successful football team. And 
then we've compared it to whether or not Dallas has those things or not. But one of the simple things to look at is, do you have a quarterback? Do you have somebody to protect your quarterback? And do you have someone to go get the other team's quarterback? Well, what are the names we've been talking about, you know, all offseason? Of course, we know Prescott is still in place and how much is about to fall on his shoulders going forward. That's been a big topic. But beyond that, you struggled to protect him in the playoff game, and that's why you lost against the 49ers, and you haven't done anything but lose starters on the offensive line. The guys that go get the quarterback, Randy Gregory, gone over contract technicality. So, you know, there's a very clear reason why fans can be pessimistic right now. And, yeah, they do have a draft to go address these things, and there's some premier players at all these positions. But, you know, you're picking down there at 24 where you better hope you have a chance to get a premium starter right there. And, you know, from that point on, you're going to be banking on some of these free agents they've brought in. We'll see how far that gets them because we've seen this whole script before. But, you know, to Cowboys fans' credit, they know kind of the right way to build a team, I think, and they're hoping that the Cowboys can find a way to do that. But all they've seen so far is key starters on the offensive line, key starters at defensive end uh, be moved on from. And, you know, those are positions that are hard to come by. Yeah, the, this offseason, you're right. The Cowboys have not really addressed the things that caused them to lose the playoff game. And how that goes into next season, you know, remains to be seen because there's there's still a lot of hurdles every team's got to go through that's going to affect the overall, you know, just the way that the, the season will play out just in terms of injuries and availability or someone steps up that you didn't think and so forth. But in terms of it being the worst ever, I just uh, – I mean, the worst – since 2000 I just I don't that's a little much but and the what, what you're talking about is significant because you want to protect Dak Prescott and you let go of a starter so I guess that means Terrence Steele is you know going to take over for um Lyle Collins and maybe Josh Ball will step up uh in terms of pass rush you let go of Randy Gregory. Well, not let go, but you weren't able to bring him back in the boat. Um, and so I, I guess, uh, you know, maybe Dorrance Armstrong will take another step in his development as he was able to come back or in some of these younger guys, or maybe there will be more pass rush from Micah Parsons. So, but it, it's still a lot of, it, it seems like, Dallas addressed their issues with what ifs rather than actually designating a some a veteran to solving the issue and that's just a very tenuous situation for them to be in as they try to defend their NFC's title because I mean we've talked about it and I'm sure they talk about it all the time on Wednesdays on the NFC East mixtape with R.J. Ochoa and Brandon Lee Gowton. There's other teams that are going to challenge Dallas, I, and I think Philadelphia will be one of them, but you, you just can't rely on the East being garbage every year. Of course, and you know this offseason off has been so volatile that you have fans even confused by, you know, what the general direction of the team is right now. I've heard everything from, you know, obviously they're trying to rebuild on the fly and win now to 
they're trying to just tear it down and build it back up for Sean Payton in 23. So, you know, the direction of the team is in question. And, you know, you mentioned some of those what ifs on defense. And my concern is, and I love Dan Quinn as a coach, don't get me wrong, but my concern is, you know, how many of these guys schematically are you tying to having success because of Quinn when you know you might have one foot out the door again next offseason? Or, you know, he could even be in a potential head coaching position if things don't work out with McCarthy and Sean Payton and all that, you know, there's been some rumblings that Quinn could be a guy who steps in. So, you know, if that's the case, then he would have less of a hands-on role with just the individual player development on defense. So, you know, good for the Cowboys on doing what they usually do and getting a guy like Dorrance Armstrong to come back and, you know, and of course credit to them for drafting Parsons. You can't overstate that, but we all want to see them, you know, add guys to that and go get these premier free agents and go get more starters to uh, to help you prepare better for the draft. Because, again, how many of these guys are we really excited for only because they get to continue working with Quinn? And defense is already volatile from year to year. So it's going to be hard to really predict, you know, what this defense is going to be when we like Jaron Coast because he's a Dan Quinn guy. We like Malik Cooker because he's a Dan Quinn guy. Well, you know, how long is that going to last? And, is it even going to last into this season? And as you already mentioned, who's going to get injured? And do you have the depth at a lot of these spots? We thought this roster was loaded and deep last year. And now, you know, we've done nine episodes of this show talking about exclusively almost, uh, you know, where the roster holes are and how can they possibly address all these needs. And I still don't have an answer for how they can go into this draft. You know, I think there's a clear path to them taking an offensive lineman at 24. We did that last week. But beyond that, yeah, I don't know where you can go to, you know, continue to add the talent at a rate where you feel really good about being able to win right now under Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn. Yes, and so much of it was the takeaways that really helped them out. And how much fortune are you going to have with the takeaways again and the availability? I, I do feel like, though, <clears throat> getting J. Ron Curse back was a little bit of a win. It was, again, one of those things that just felt like a small victory amid all of the L's that they have been taking since the post-game presser of the 49ers loss. Yeah, Coach is a really good scheme fit again under Quinn, and you know his role was so versatile, kind of plays down in that box safety role, and you're going to have some flexibility if, you do go into the season of Coase and Hooker as your two starting safeties and their ability to kind of interchange playing down or back. I do worry about this team giving up the big plays again. It was a concern even with the takeaways and some of those turnovers masked, you know, drives that the opposing team made big plays, but then that one critical mistake took away what statistically is usually a scoring drive if you do produce those big plays. So I do worry about teams being able to get sunk yardage against you and really flipping the script and putting pressure on your offense to go create those plays when we might not be talking about that type of big play offense uh, without Amari Cooper and all that right now. So having Coast back is definitely a win, as you said. And, you know, I think he's a guy that really helps everybody else get lined up. Linebacker was a position we've talked about as far as a big concern that you can go a lot of different directions right now. I definitely don't see them using the 24th pick on a linebacker. So you're kind of going into the season there without – uh, some certainty and he kind of plays a role where he can establish that position a little bit better for you and you definitely want to see what he has in store for us 
Yeah, and the defense just, you know, it looks, it, it just feels like it's going to have to be on them, though, this year. Um, and you just, I feel like it, it's, it's a hard task to repeat because Quinn had the advantage of having the rest, after five games with Falcons, the rest of that time off to really go back, look, reflect, see where he could have improved. And he made those improvements and, and it kind of shocked the league a little bit. Now they're going to have all of the tape and all of the tendencies and everything to see how to exploit this defense when you are missing some of the other key pieces that made it um, that made it work, like a Randy Gregory. And the linebacking core still feels like it could use a little more depth, you know? And so you just wonder how how much damage the defense has already taken just in terms of all of, of the material and tendencies that they've put on tape that offensive coordinators are going to exploit with kind of a limited personnel compared to last year. It's amazing how, how fast the script is flipped on that, hasn't it? I mean, we're talking about this passing offense with Kevin Moore being the offensive coordinator, being the strength of this team for years to come. And, you know, that's going to be the reason you win games. That's why you go out and get CeeDee Lamb in the draft and go BPA. Great job, Dallas, addressing your needs again in free agency, as you always do. And they're trying to do desperately this offseason so that you can take a guy like Lamb. And, you know, we're going to be off to the races with Prescott proving himself as an MVP candidate. And the door's not slammed on that, you know, ever being the case again. But it's completely flipped. And now the fact that we're even sitting here talking about, you know, the path for this team to win being a defense, you know, that hasn't happened in Dallas in forever. And I'm not opposed to it being the case, of course. But, you know, our, our site over at bloggingtheboys.com, you, know, you can find the article still about all the reasons why that's very unlikely to happen in terms of defenses being consistent from year to year and the personnel changes you've you've already undergone and all those things. So, you know, of course, we want to see this defense continue to perform under Quinn and do the things they can do, but you're supposed to be able to hang your hat on this passing offense and, and Kevin Moore not being that coordinator that could get figured out, and there's still now there's concerns about that. And they haven't done anything to address that, by the way. You know, forget about the players they've brought in. What about helping this coaching staff and what's McCarthy going to do? And, you know, there's some news about him not attending the coaching meeting. So at least he's trying to be more hands-on. And is that the right approach and all that? But then is Quinn going to get figured out as well? And, you know, we could be sitting here talking about we were all scared that both coordinators could get poached this offseason and that being a bad thing. We might be right back here saying, oh, you're going to lose both coordinators, but it was time to move on anyway. Oh, and now, by the way, McCarthy might be gone, and you know, you're tearing it down and trying to rebuild it all uh, with you know some suspect personnel. What what kind of confidence do you have in Mike McCarthy going? I mean, skipping the owners' meetings, and and he's going to go out scouting and everything. I mean, what if the flip the flip was script? Um, what if the script was flipped, and McCarthy were attending the owner meetings? Would would you even care? Would anyone even be like, why is he there? Why is he not going out scouting? It's hard to say, you know. I mean, 
I think in this case, you do have to defer to the team, which I know Cowboys fans don't like to say or hear, but, you know, defer to the people that make these schedules. And, you know, it's kind of unthinkable the amount of personnel that NFL organizations have in terms of just logistics and doing these types of things to know where everyone has to be and what suits the football team best. And I think McCarthy has his finger on the pulse there. I think he hears the chatter about, you know, why wasn't he more involved and, He's trying to go prove that. I think you look through his drafts in Green Bay, trying to look for tendencies, and he was there long enough where there wasn't really you know, a set way that he wants to build things. And he's also trying to prove here recently that you know he's a coach that can just, even on game days and such, can adjust, and he doesn't have a set way that he wants to win games. And that certainly wasn't the case when you had Jason Garrett in here as a head coach. There was a very set way that he wanted to build a team that could win games and it was always so structured that you never got to the point where you know you just had all the pieces that he felt like you needed to to make that happen. McCarthy is trying to be adaptable and flexible to say, you know, I'll work with what I have, but at the same time, he wants to have a bigger say in what he does have to work with. Of course, he would like to see the front office find a way to keep Amari Cooper, Randy Gregory, all those things, but he's putting his trust in Quinn to pull off another good defensive year and from there, he knows he has a coordinator. He has to help on offense, and he's out there scouting for an offense that has some major needs. You know, of course, he likes what he has in Dak Prescott. He wouldn't have been hired if he didn't. But around him, there's so many concerns right now that we weren't expecting to talk about. And if he's trying to put his hand in there to uh, to make this offense, you know, a reason you can win games again like it's supposed to be, then I think overall that's a good thing. I think it shows that he knows he's on the hot seat, let's say. Yes. Um, maybe not that, you know, there's anything with the Sean Payton or anything like that. But just in terms of there was so much optimism in December. There was so much anticipation that Dallas was going to I mean, you know, what if they would have lost on on the last second drive in the divisional playoffs on the road? Doesn't sting as bad as when you do it at home. What if they would have um, lost in the NFC Championship game? It would be progress in a way. And in having that setback of losing the home playoff game in frankly underachieving, I think that him going and and scouting and foregoing the league owners, you know, the league meetings, I think it shows how much commitment he's putting in to trying to turn the page, to trying to get to this team to the next step. And I think it's that kind of motivation, that kind of hot seat, if you will, because it is starting to get frustrating in Dallas. Um, in 2020, well, it was you know, the pandemic and no offseason, and Dak Prescott broke his ankle and so forth. So you figure, okay, kind of a mulligan. And then the, the optimism, the expectations and everything manifested, and they were going to run away with the East, you could tell, by October. And so you thought the team really was taking the next step and then 
you know, they didn't. And now I, I just think it's it's this pressure now to reach the next level. And, you know, I honestly, if he wouldn't have, if he would have just gone to the owners' meetings, I would have thought, well, that's what the coaches do. I mean, they call it, for example, the NFC coaches' breakfast. Okay? That's what they do. Um, but, so I wouldn't have thought anything of it if he went. But in him going and scouting and so forth, I think it shows that he knows there's a level of dissatisfaction, not just in the fan base, but at the star too. And that he's going to do everything he can. And like any competitor who wants the last shot, I think he wants to know that in his heart, he had a say, he gave it his all in with this in his Dallas tenure. Yeah, I think it was kind of a you know a great unknown when he was hired, and, and it's been a while since we can say this about the Cowboys organization as a whole. But it was kind of an unknown in terms of, you know, what's the lease going to be for how long McCarthy has to, to build a team in his vision here. You know, Jason Garrett got 10 years, and that was probably a bit too long, right? And it was unexpected maybe that, you know, he, he stuck around as long through some of those tougher years. But overall, he did a lot of positive you know, through those eight and eight seasons to turn the roster and change some things. And if the Cowboys went with a young head coach after him, you know, you would expect the least to be longer than it's kind of drawing to right now for McCarthy with, oh, we're going for the growing pains, the same things I said about Kellen Moore, all that, you know, you could expect, given the Jones' track record, that with a younger coach, we wouldn't have to have this discussion after just two years. But, you know, they went with a guy who had a lot of, a lot of experience in McCarthy and, so they feel like it's time to deliver, and if that lease is going to fall somewhere between two or ten years, you know, McCarthy doesn't want to find out this year, and he knows the Sean Payton stuff, he knows Dan Quinn under him as a defensive coordinator is more than qualified to potentially step in as a head coach, and his defense might be the reason that McCarthy still wins a lot of games, as you're thinking there. So, yeah, he's out there trying to build the best contending team he can or help with it or prove that he does – more around here than at least the fans will give him credit for because I think the biggest and most fair criticism from this past season is why didn't he do more to help Kellen Moore and what was his role with the offense and if it wasn't a big enough role with the offense then what else is he doing and so now you know if he's out there watching these prospects that he thinks can help the offense well I'd still like to see more on game days and with the game planning but you have to have the personnel too and he wants to have a say in that. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I know that, again, the optics of it, oh, Mike McCarthy, he's going out with a whistle um, twirling around his finger and the notepad and and the goggle, I mean the binoculars and looking at the guys in the stands and the stopwatch. But is that work going to be is that going to be helpful to Will McClay? Because take for example Ben DiNucci and how he's still hanging around the Cowboys. It's and we got a glimpse of it in Hard Knocks. It's because Mike McCarthy sees something in him. Pittsburgh guys, yeah. And yeah, and he's on the roster, and and he's you know completed his second season with the Cowboys. Are are you really actually giving Mike McCarthy more arguments to have with Will McClay and the personnel department as opposed to actually going out and helping Will McClay find talent? I mean, are they really is? In McCarthy going out, is he going out and finding guys that he likes, or is he going out and looking at guys that are going to help Will McClay assemble the best roster? And I only ask that because of just how dysfunctional things have been for the Cowboys since the playoff loss, just organizationally. I mean, they just haven't, like I said, I mean, Dan Quinn comes back. Um, that. <laughs> You know, that's about it. Everything else has had some sort of hitch in the step. And I, you just hope that McCarthy is at least synchronized with McClay, that there's simpatico when it comes to this, and that this isn't just going to be another kernel for dysfunction. Well, I think McCarthy can, you know, go back to McClay and the scouting staff from this past season, though, and you know, we say don't grade a draft after three years, so we're not there yet, but he can go back. And I look. say grade the draft as soon as they turn the card in. Well, we'll probably have to do that on this show anyway, so I'll get ready for that. But, you know, they say don't go into it, but he can McCarthy can go back to McClay right now and say, you know, hey, how many of these guys can I count on? You know, I hear all this on Peyton stuff. I hear the Quinn stuff. Why am I on a hot seat when I don't have any players – you know, outside of Parsons from last year, really, and maybe Kelvin Joseph, that I can count on. You know, you you take Lyle Collins away from me, and now I have to go figure out what I have in Josh Ball. You know, you take Amari Cooper, and now I got to see what I have in Simi Fahoko, who did nothing, and Ball, of course, did nothing as well. You know, that's what I'm getting at in terms of, you know, last year's class. You know, we sat around and watched Quinn get a couple of his guys, and okay, great, he made them work. But what does that do for McCarthy besides, you know, it got you a division title, and now – you're still mired in uncertainty, not only on defense, but on the offense and all, almost everywhere with this team. Even special teams, you don't have a kicker right now, practically. So, you know, he's out there trying to do his due diligence, as we'd say, and we don't know what position groups mm-hmm. he's looking at or all that. And we still know that McClay is going to have his input as well. And, you know, collectively, I think you should be kind of excited as a Cowboys fan that there's going to be some different voices all deciding on this draft because there's so many different directions they can go. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is as long as the different voices have, as long as the different voices come to some kind of harmony, 
you know, and it that's really what, it's, what the I'm, team needs are so clear that you know the harmonies could have to be really diving into the rankings in terms of okay, we know we need offensive line, let's go attack it at twenty four, and that's when your position coach or McCarthy can jump in and say, you know, hey, hold on here, you know, I like this guy that you're pitching at twenty four, but looking at our rankings, it's not that much of a drop-off to a guy we're projecting to be there, you know, down at 56 or something like that. So that's when it's really going to get tight with the, you know, your your overall big board, you know, let's say one through 300 is when you're really going to be looking at, you know, oh, I think we definitely need to go this direction. Well, hold on, I can get you a guy in this round, this round. And I've, I've already talked on this show about the concerns with doing that is that, you know, you worry about not getting any of the top-end starters that this team really needs. So, you better make that first pick with some conviction that, you know, it's a, it's a position that's going to help you in a starter. But that's why you need, you know, kind of some depth to this draft class and some perspective on everybody being able to weigh in on where you have this whole thing linked because there's almost every position group where you can say, hey, if it's not a first round eight, it's damn sure a second. Or if it's not a second, it's a third. And, you know, this team, just as far as recent history last year, they don't have a great track record with – finding starters in those second and third rounds or beyond that. It's really a first-round, top-heavy type of thing. And even first-round this year, you're picking down at 24, like I said. So you can't bank too much on that. Right. And so when you're picking the second and third round and later, I mean, you may be picking Sean Payton's guys, right? Because, I mean, that's when they'll blossom. Is he good to – Make a phone call to the Cowboys' war room. Right, right. Um, he's actually going to speak at Loyola College down in New Orleans for their commencement. So it'll, that'll be interesting to see what Sean Payton has to say about that. Yeah, believe in, in what you believe in, and don't ever say no to a second chance in Southlake. It's, yeah, like I'm kind of dreading how far does it get to go once we're in season? Like, of course, I want this team to be successful, and that will drown out some of the Peyton rumors. Or maybe. <laughs> Can't even guarantee that because it's the Cowboys. But, you know, I'm just kind of dreading the point that it could there's, – there's a dark uh, – you could take yourself to a pretty dark place if you start thinking about, you know, just how far it could go with every big-time ESPN talk shows, you know, just plastering McCarthy's face everywhere saying – is it time to replace him with Peyton? Is it time to make the call? So Jerry, pick up the phone and, you know, you can drift further and further away from how things actually work when it talks about, when you talk about trying to replace the car view of Peyton. But nonetheless, you know, he's going to be watching this team. There's no doubt he's going to be watching the NFL, maybe like McCarthy did, you know, trying to regather himself for wherever that next job may be. And if he sees what he likes and what the Cowboys are doing, it's only going to be, all that much more intriguing. Well, the thing with Peyton, though, is he's doing broadcasting, right? Mm-hmm. He is. Okay, so every week he's going to be looking, he's going to be studying two teams, and on Fridays he's going to be in the production meetings with some of those players and coaches. I don't know that he's going to have the time to really evaluate himself the way that Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy did. He's basically any team, and even the Cowboys, whoever, 
that gets Sean Payton 2023 is going to get the continuation of Sean Payton 2021. I don't think he's going to have all of that time to really examine and think about what he could have done better. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I think that's what you got in McCarthy. You know, there was some honeymoon phase there where it's like but, but, the but Cowboys Sean, are getting a new Peter Mike King, McCarthy, and then you know he coached a couple yeah, of games. He's like, okay, King we got Green, Green Bay. Bay, and he did the the show with him. He did he did the article with him over Thanksgiving 2019, and and he and he did the article though, Sean. Wait, he's what, a new what, man. what article are we talking about? Hold, hold on a second. It, Peter King back in 2019 oh, okay. Thanksgiving did some feature on him. And it was, it like looked like Mike McCarthy. It really looked like when you go visit your, your divorced uncle after a year and he's in the new cool apartment. And that's <laughs> kind of like the tone of it was I, I've, I've turned things around. I, I've, I've thought about what I did wrong and, and I'm excited to get back after it. And it's like anywhere but Dallas. Okay. I mean, you, and you can already see, you know, the issue with what, Sean Payton did wrong in New Orleans was he wrecked their cap space on the way out. And you can say, yeah, he did it in one. That was a while ago. He also did it and had some you know mediocre seasons that the Cowboys are trying to move past. We've been stuck in that for so long. And Payton kind of falls right in line with that, unfortunately. And given the cap situation and the way we all criticize Stephen Jones for handling the cap, yeah, this might not be you know the marriage uh, made in heaven type of deal that Cowboys fans are looking for, but that's down the line. Yeah, one more little thought on it. Um, I think it will be interesting. I, I don't know. The, the Cowboys coaches have always been on the hot seat. I mean, Jason Garrett was on the hot seat, I would say, for nine out of ten of the years he was well, coach. But that, that doesn't count, then. I, I don't know if I if I buy it, you can have a nine-year hot seat. Like that, that's, a, right. that's a pretty lukewarm seat, if not just a cold seat at that point. Right. Well, let me put it this way. Um, the media always puts a Cowboys coach on the hot seat because, I mean, you know, it's convenient. Uh, but in this case, I think with McCarthy, it's probably real. Uh, so he's on the hot seat. But there's never been, like, a shadow coach from – I mean, we're going to be talking – we're already talking about it. But when in training camp, if – Something happens, people are going to say, what would Sean Payton do? And then if Dallas gets off to a 1-3 and three start, would they be 2-1 and one with Sean Payton? And all of this, and it's, mm-hmm. I, there, I don't think it's ever been a time when there's been a shadow coach of the Cowboys for an entire day. Take Jason Garrett's last year in 2019. You got to about Thanksgiving and... Urban Meyer was talking with Jerry and so forth. So you kind of had that as a shadow over December. Um, but this is this could drag on the whole season. And especially if they don't have any success. You know? And McCarthy has done a good job already this offseason, kind of deflecting that and leaning back on his experience and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, I've, I've lived through some of these types of things before. I'm not going to let it be a distraction, but you better win or it's going to be. I mean, there's just no, no way around it right now. The roster is in kind of a state of flux, but guys need to elevate their game and he, he needs to elevate this team and his coaching staff as a whole. Cause that's what he was brought in to do. And 
there's major concerns of whether or not he did that last year, especially the way this team finished the season, and now it's time to put that together. I can't help it. I, I fixate on that Monday morning um, or good morning, whatever Peter King does now. It's football morning in America. It was around Thanksgiving of 2019, and Mike McCarthy was in his house in Green Bay, and he was wearing a sweatshirt, and he talked about analytics yeah. in that article. <laughs> and I mean, it was just like a total yeah, I, I, I'm a changed man. I, I've thought about what I did wrong, and, and I can do better. I've done my due diligence. That's two due diligence jobs so far, by the way. Oh, yeah, we got to keep score on that. By the way, we will be – we have to talk about that um, on a podcast, our favorite or most irksome football phrases like that because – I mean, they're out there, and I, I think they're especially prevalent during draft season and roster acquisition season. And that, and again, I, I think that that would be great. Oh, we will definitely do that. Maybe get some fan responses uh, on Twitter and whatnot before before coming into that one. But yeah, I think that'd be a better. That'd be the thing to do is let's get some audience input, and then they can submit some of theirs. And then we'll go over them. I think that'd be good too. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. So if you just want to, my DMs are always open. By the way, just send them to me at the real Mark Lane on Twitter, and uh, I'll I'll start putting them together, and then we can go over them one of these episodes. This is an open invite to DM Mark. Uh, the pickles are terrible. Uh, side snacks, so I guess condiment, so not condiment, but like I couldn't find a word for, you know, whatever you like put with your burger and stuff like that. But uh, nonetheless, we need to we need to convert him from liking pickles because we talked about that last week and it was a whole segment. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently I'm bad somehow for that. Um, I'll tell you, I did have a burger tonight. Um, from what from not where I usually get them, but from where I got them last week too. And the the bun was kind of dry. I was expecting it to have just a little moistness, but it was kind of dry. And, you know, that's kind of how the off season's gone for Dallas to this point is the bread. There's been too much talk about bread and not enough talk about meat. Not enough talk about just the taste and the experience. It's been too much talk about bread and the bread has ruined it. Yeah. Like the bread is important, you know, to, to keep this analogy going. That's well done right there. You know, the bread can ruin it. And maybe we're at that breaking point this off season in terms of they've been in this process of just trying to replace starters and free agency without paying the top dollars. And, you know, that's kind of the bread of this process. And it's at a breaking point where, if the bread is good and then you can move on to the draft to get your meat and everything else, then then that's great. But there's you know real concerns on if this is time to just redo the whole thing, recook everything, and and then that begs the question, is McCarthy the guy you want in place if you are going to go full rebuild here? And can you even do that You know, with the way you paid Dak Prescott and Demarcus Lawrence and some of these other players? So that's why you know this offseason has seen some hyperboles like, is it the worst ever? Is fan pessimism at an all-time low? 
you know, the reason these things are coming up is because there's this concern that even best case scenario, this team keeps building the way they're building. All we've really gotten out of it is a couple of friends, playoff wins here or there. So where, how do you find a way to take that next step? And what's the process going to look like when you're a consistent playoff contender? And that hasn't been, you know, something we can talk about or something they've had the answer for in over 20 plus years. Uh, when we had Zig Vergasi on, um, I think he made a good point. Worst, late 80s. That 88, 89, that was the worst ever. Because not only was Dallas bad on the field, you didn't even know who was going to own the team. <laughs> okay? Like, the team was for sale in the 88 season. So, it was it was horrendous. But um, let, let's go ahead and take a look at the Cowboys' birthdays. Before we get out of here, Sean, to, on Monday, turning 56 years old, born in Abington, Pennsylvania, none other than your favorite 8-8 eight and eight coach, Jason Garrett. He was born March 28th, 1966. I went to college in Princeton, New Jersey, of course, and you know the Garrett years were some of my formative years as a Cowboys fan. The, the what year? Oh, the Garrett years. I thought you said the get out years. <laughs> well, there's a lot of fans <laughs> that were calling for him to be out, you know, way before he was, but yeah, uh, couldn't get him when out. You th- let me ask you this. Now, to be fair, he's a three-time Super Bowl. He's got three Super Bowl rings, okay? Because uh, he was a backup from 92 to 99. Yeah, no doubt. But as a coach, when would you have fired Jason Garrett? Oh man, that's so hard. Uh, that's really hard. Uh, I mean, prob- let's say like a year before they did, you know, because you have to get thirty eight. So, so after twenty eighteen, so after they lost to the Rams in the playoffs, you'd have fired him then. Yeah, I think that game, you know, thinking back on it, was a reflection of kind of his his shortcomings and his limitations as a coach. You know, you weren't. You didn't adjust very well in that game, of course, and you know we're, we're criticizing McCarthy for doing the same thing, but you didn't adjust well in that game. You let the Rams' best players you know, take control of it. You didn't have that type of game plan to not let the game get broken from you. You had that horrendous fourth down where you crammed everybody into the box just to slam the ball up the middle right into Aaron Donald and a mass of bodies, and that was a turnover on downs that became a breaking point in that game. So I think right there, Sure, you could defend Garrett a bit and say, you know, you weren't necessarily expected to beat the Rams there, but 10 years as a coach and how many times can you count on one hand, you know, the games that you weren't expected to win, but you still found a way to do so. That's what you're really looking for, I think, in today's NFL from these head coaches. And that wasn't the case under Garrett. It hasn't been the case under McCarthy yet. And, you know, the fact that it took him to that game against the Rams was kind of the high point that maybe you, maybe you could have moved on there. Well, if I, I have to participate, um, I'd have said 2017 because you were kind of in a soft rebuild anyway and you're doing crazy stuff like fire, like fire, like releasing Des Bryant as it is and then bringing in Chris Richard and Matt Eberflus goes to the Colts. And, you know, you just had little shake-ups here and there. May as well shake the whole thing up at that point. And uh, you're still young enough. You still got two years on Dak Prescott's rookie contract. Yeah, I may as well do it after the 2017 season. Yeah, that would make sense as well. That was a crazy offseason because of the Bryant release. And you mentioned Rashard. That was his defense that 
got ran over by the Rams. So you can't put all of that on Garrett from the 2018 loss. But, you know, you Garrett got that opportunity after the craziness of the 2017 offseason to establish, you know, hey, can you be the guy to kind of take us through this turmoil the same way that he did when he had those eight and eight teams that had some of the oldest rosters in the league and then he turned them into a younger team and 2022 feels like that type of year for McCarthy now they're going through a transformative offseason and they're losing starters and there's so many question marks and who's going to start in all these key positions and they're teeing it up for can you be the guy who overcomes all this and fixes it and gets us to where you know we need it to be yeah, happy 56th birthday, Coach. Here's where we would have fired you. All right, on Tuesday, <laughs> you brought it turning, up, 70, <laughs> turning 76 years old is Blaine Nye, a member of the Zero Club. He played with the Cowboys uh, as a guard from 68 to 76, one season shy from having two Super Bowl rings from the Tom Landry era. Instead, he got one after Super Bowl six. Blaine Nye from Ogden, Utah. What is the Zero Club? Uh, the Zero Club was uh, Cowboys offensive lineman that would not talk to the media, just part of a, of a gimmick in the 70s. And so that's what they did. They they were the Zero Club. They you know They were nobody. So they didn't talk to the media. The Zero Club. And then on Friday, Jim Jeffcoat, he turns 63 years, I mean, 61 years old. And Jim Jeffcoat, you got to remember, Sean, he was on the Cowboys in 83. His rookie season was in um, when they lost to the Rams in the wildcard playoff. And he went through the whole horrendous 80s and the 88, 89 seasons and all of that. And then won two Super Bowls with the Cowboys and he, he left after that to play for the Buffalo Bills after the 94 season but Jim Jeffcoat he turns 61 years old and he's from Long Branch New Jersey born April 1st I actually did not know that but yeah there were, there were some Cowboys fans that will have some fond memories of Jeffcoat's time here and probably feel a little bit older now that he's turning uh, 61 yeah I, I have to you know these the Super Bowl winners, when they're pushing 60 right. years old, I mean, that, that just really makes you f- just comprehend how long it's been around here. You know what I mean? While we're working in the Jersey tie-ins, let me just give a very quick shout-out to St. Peter's basketball. They, their NCAA tournament came to an end, run came to an end uh, against North Carolina in the Elite Eight yesterday, but Nonetheless, an incredible run for a school that I personally never even knew anybody that went there. That's what makes it even more amazing. Like they're not for a state as small as New Jersey to have a school that nobody still even knows about. And then they do what they just did in the tournament, knocking off Blue Buds like Kentucky and making the run they did was incredible and had a lot of people beam, beaming with state pride. So hats off to uh, St. Peter's basketball and good luck to all the teams in the Final Four. We got some great matchups uh, in New Orleans. Why do you say it weird? It's tournament. How did I say it? I don't even know. You said tournament. Like so you call uh, it the PGA Tour instead of the PGA Tour? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I can test this theory by there's one word that my I use I have to use in my full-time job that always gives away 
that I'm not from this area. Uh, how do you pronounce the word display? Display? Yeah. Well, see, like you said it right. In Texas, everybody puts like it's like a make they makes it like a hard two syllable thing. They go like display. It's hard to enunciate like the, how it actually sounds different. And I promise it sounds different and it throws me way off. But everyone says like display as like a hard, like different like, syllable in the middle. Display. Yeah, kind of like that, as opposed to like just display, kind of let it flow, you know, one quick word. It's always like display and it's just very off putting. But I did not notice that. And I don't even say it that weird way. I mean, that You're way it sounds it right, like. Yeah. Well, now, uh, down at the King Opera House, we got display about... That's exactly how they Jesus. say it. Yeah, that's how everyone down here except me says it. Why do they say it that way? Uh, I, I've been asking that since day one. All right, well, let me ask, uh, since we're going over how people pronounce things, what do you call a brown syrupy carbonated drink? Well, I mean, you're trying to bait me here. Like, you no, know, what do you, no I know what let me put it this way I have relatives in Michigan in Illinois I know what they call it and I know what well, it's uh, called down here what do you call it uh, so I mean like the general term would be soda but like you also got to take the name and you know like if it's a Dr. Pepper we okay call it so Dr. you Pepper. call it a soda yeah but I know like yeah this is a whole thing because people eh, that's generalize okay. hey look soda. I think the weird I think pop that <laughs> sounds just strange Okay. Yeah, but, uh, I yeah. Nobody should call it pot. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, sodas not not too bad. I've been drinking more tonic water lately. I think that that tastes real good. But there's also states where like they'll just generalize everything into like calling it Coke. That's why like I hesitated there because you have to bring in the name because like some states the name is important, like where I'm from. But then other states, I guess it's not because again, you can just say like I'll have a Coke. And, like, it just automatically refers to, like, if they have Coke, I guess that's what you'll get. But if not, they'll just, like, give you, like, whatever the other soda is and just assume that you still meant that even though you said Coke. It's, like, some weird weird stuff going on there. I got one for you. And anyone that listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast, if you can remember Ray Charles doing Diet Right commercials in the early <laughs> 90s, I want you to tag me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. And if you want some of the best cowboys insight and analysis on twitter follow sean martin where can they follow you sean at sean martin nfl appreciate the blogging the boys readers trickling over there and finding us on twitter yeah and we'd really appreciate it if you found us on apple spotify TuneIn, and stitcher the hidden yardage podcast and you can always find our work at blogintheboys.com. This Tuesday, by the way, I will be on the BTB Roundtable at 5 p.m. Central Time on blogintheboys.com, on the YouTube channel, and wherever you can find it. So be sure to check that out. Sean, anything else? Yeah, the Roundtable is always a good time. Make sure you're checking out all of our work over on the front page uh... BTB, it's definitely time to start getting ready for this draft even more seriously. So we're going to have some great draft content and continue to talk about this team as the offseason gets a little bit slow. But nonetheless, there's going to be plenty to read and plenty to do, and we'll do that next week. So there it is.